Lord, it is such an incredible honour to come and call you Father. Even in that one word, it acknowledges what you have done to bridge a divide that we could never have crossed ourselves. So we thank you for Jesus. Lord, we thank you that your word is life. And as you speak to us now through your word, Lord, encourage us, challenge us and send us out in your strength, we pray. Amen. Take a seat. You can grab your Bibles and turn them to John chapter 4. We're going to be um, kind of using that as our mooring post a little bit this morning. John chapter 4 in particular, I think, is fairly... I was trying to reflect on this a little bit during the week and actually looked up some of the stats on our church website. John chapter 4 is particularly precious to us. Of course, the entire Bible, notwithstanding, is very precious to us. But in particular, I would say that you will find that that particular chapter, John chapter 4, has been preached on and referenced um, a significant amount of time. I, I didn't really get the exact number, but a significant amount of time over the last 10 years or so. And it's for a very good reason. John chapter 4 contains a particularly uh, sweet interaction, I think, between Jesus and a woman who lived in a village within the region of Samaria. And uh, there's a good chance that if you've attended this church for more than just a few years, more than likely you will be familiar with that event. But just in case you're new, just in case um, you're not 100% sure what it is I'm talking about, let me summarise it for you. Jesus was... Uh, working and ministering with his followers in the south of the country and he decided that he wanted to travel all the way to the north of the country to continue ministering amongst villages and he said to his disciples, hey, we need to pass through Samaria. Uh, there certainly was a trade route that passed through Samaria and uh, it was a, a road that he was you know, quite good to travel on the problem is, of course, is that Jesus is um, Jewish, his disciples Jewish, and the Samaritans and the Jewish people really just did not get along. And that's pretty much an understatement. Um, most good Jewish people went out of their way not to interact with Samaritans. Uh, they were somewhat seen as second-class citizens of the area. Of course, Jesus said, we've got to pass through Samaria. It was the middle of the day... They've been travelling, it was hot, and they get outside a little village in Samaria, and outside the village, which is pretty common over there, there is a well. He stops, he's thirsty, he's hungry, and they see at the well a woman in the middle of the day drawing water. Jesus sends the disciples into the village to go buy food, which leaves Jesus, a uh, respected rabbi, a public figure, talking privately with a woman, so there's a cultural sort of taboo right there, a Jew and a Samaritan, there's another cultural taboo, and what proceeds is a beautiful conversation. At the end of that conversation, the disciples come back and they're carrying food with them. They are very surprised 
to see Jesus talking with the, the woman at the well. Um, to their knowledge, the woman then suddenly runs off back towards the village that they'd just come from. And they say to Jesus, the food's here. And he says, I'm not hungry anymore. <laughs> and they're really confused. They think that somebody else has come along and brought Jesus a meal. Right? And he says to them, no, no, I've just had a feast. I've just been eating what God has given me to do. Right? Now, we're going to pick up the story shortly. But there's the summary of some of the events that lead up to where we're going to pick up in this story. You see, in the past, as we've preached through this chapter and this event, we've often, and I've done this, I know as you've done this on a few occasions, it's been great, we've done a deep dive into the conversation that took place between Jesus and the woman at the well. And there's a lot to be learnt there. Um, a lot to be learnt from Jesus' example of how he talks to her, how he asks questions of her, how he leads her towards himself so that she can see clearly that he's not just talking about the water in the well that satisfies, but what really will satisfy. And he points to himself, that entire conversation. But I want to skip that today, and I want to jump to something significant that Jesus says to his disciples who... Remember, wander back in partway through the story, somewhat confused. They've gone to buy sandwiches and they've come back and Jesus said, I'm not hungry anymore. And then Jesus has a conversation with them. That's the conversation I want you to focus in on this morning. Because in that conversation, Jesus asked them to behold something. Now, those of you who've been here for a little bit, maybe you're new this morning, we're currently going through a series following along in parallel with a book called Behold. Um, who's been reading that? Show, well, put your hands up, that's fine. We'll shame all the people that haven't. Um, <laughs> no, it's not true. Um, if you've been enjoying that, I know there's been a lot of people who've been chatting with me, some of the core groups, small groups of meetings together, discussing that. Uh, a lot of people have been saying, hey, we're really enjoying it. We're following along these words, these occasions when we see the word Behold, at least in some translations of the Bible. Well, Jesus asked his disciples to behold something as he then turns his attention from the woman who's now run back to the village and now he turns his attention to the disciples and he asks them to behold something. He wants them to focus in. He wants them to notice something significant. The question is, what is it? What is it that the disciples were meant to behold there? And if it was important for them to behold then I'm going to make the assumption that it's going to be really important for us to behold it as well. All right? So, John chapter 4, verse 35. I'm going to put it on the screen. This is in a new, a new American Standard Version or Bible. It says this, John 4, 35. You can have a look at it in your translation in front of you as well. Do you not say, this is Jesus talking to his disciples, do you not say... There are yet four months, and then comes the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white for harvest. All right, that's how the New American Standard Bible puts it. Next screen, I'm going to put the same verse. I'm going to do it in the Christian Standard Bible, which is what I'm going to reference mostly this morning. Same verse just slightly different English translation of the original language 
that it was written in. John 4, 35, Christian Standard Bible. Don't you say there are still four months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for harvest. All right. So I'm going to give you just a few words which I think um, might help shape our focus and our attention to help us behold what Jesus was asking his disciples to behold. The first one is this. In beholding, I think Jesus is helping us see that there is an urgency of beholding. There is an urgency. Now, do you remember what beholding is? We don't use it a lot in our normal language in this day and age in Australia, do we? We don't walk around saying, oh, behold. It's not really common for us to do that. Um, let's crowdsource this a little bit. Behold. What have we learned so much about what beholding means? Let's get some ideas. Throw them out at me. Pay attention. To look. Yeah. All right. To look in a particular way, isn't it? Where we, we're just in awe of what we're seeing. Yep. Anything else? Let's try and round it out. I'll take the one that I heard the clearest. Observe. What was the other one? To take note. All right. All really good ideas. So it's, it's more than just a casual glance, isn't it? We don't behold things by sort of just going, oh, very good, move on. That's not beholding. So Jesus is saying he wants us to behold something here. It's just come on the back end of a conversation with a woman who's now running back towards the village. The disciples are coming, confused now about what it is that Jesus has been doing while they were gone. And Jesus now says, I need you to pay attention. I need you to look. I need you to stand in awe. I need you to take note. All right. I need you to just pause everything else for a moment and just zone in on what's about to happen. All right. This is the first thing that I think we need to really do all of that for. When Jesus speaks what follows, when he says, behold, there is an incredible urgency to what he has to say. There is an urgency in beholding. Let's read it again from the Christian Standard Bible. Let's hear if you can, if you can pick up the tone of urgency in Jesus' voice. Don't you say... There are still four more months, and then comes the harvest. That's the question. It's a rhetorical question that Jesus asked his disciples. Must have been a common saying, right? Maybe there were fields around them where they were traveling. Maybe there were crops that were there. Either way, this is an agricultural society where people were very used to farming, where people were very used to reading the weather, where people were used to the seasons, where people were used to being able to look at a field and see where a, a crop was being grown and going, oh yes, it's not ready to harvest yet. It's still in the early stages of its growth maybe. Whatever the reason was, Jesus turns to his disciples and he says to them, here, a rhetorical question, don't you say... Aren't you saying, isn't this a common understanding? There are still four more months and then comes the harvest, right? Now, now hear the urgency. Listen to what I'm telling you. That's where the New American Standard Bible says, behold. All right? Listen to what I'm telling you. 
Open your eyes. Look at the fields. Why? Because they're ready for harvest. Not four months' time. Listen to what I'm saying. Open your eyes. Look. There's urgency in beholding what Jesus is saying. There's urgency. And I tell you this morning, there is an urgency about what Jesus is saying to us. There is a harvest in this world. There is a harvest for God's kingdom. And we can so easily think there's still time. There's still four months left, right? The harvest isn't ready yet. And maybe that's a conversation that you're having with a neighbour. I don't think they're ready. Let me just be really honest. Almost every time that I've said, I don't think they're ready, I'm, I'm covering for something. You know what I'm covering for? I don't think I'm ready. I don't think I'm ready to have that conversation yet. I'm not sure I'm ready for what might happen if I bring up the conversation of my faith. But there's an urgency. Jesus says, open your eyes. Listen to what I'm saying. Look at that field. It's ready now. It's ready now. There's a sense of urgency in what Jesus is saying to his disciples. We have to just surmise, we have to fill in the blanks a little bit in this conversation, this event that took place in John chapter 4. But it's quite possible that as that as Jesus was talking to his disciples and he asked them to look up their field, it might have been that he was pointing towards the village that this woman had just run back to. We're going to get to what happened shortly, but maybe she was still running back towards the village and maybe he just pointed after her and said, listen, look at that. The harvest is ready now. There's an entire village there of people, a whole community of people who are desperately needing to hear that they're inadequacies before a holy God have been absorbed and covered and dealt with in Christ. There's a whole group of people in communities around you that need to know right now that there is hope beyond the circumstances of their life. There's something beyond what they can see, that there is an eternity and a future that is made certain because of what Christ has done. There is an urgency to this. Is it that they're not ready? Or is it that we're not ready? That's the first point I want you to see. Not in four months now. Not in four months now. Right? Not when we think it's ready. Jesus said, it's ready now. An urgency. Here's the second thing that I want you to see about this beholding. There is an incredible um, freedom in beholding. There's a great freedom in beholding. What do I mean by that? Have a grab of your Bible, John chapter 4. We read verse 35, but I want you to go down to verse 37, where this conversation continues with the disciples. John chapter 4, verse 37. He says, For in this case, the saying is true. He's still speaking with his disciples here. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited 
from their labour. All right, so keep in mind that conversation. We'll, we'll come back to it in a moment. Keep a ribbon or your finger there, and I want you now to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And just a few verses from that chapter. In this chapter, Paul is writing a letter to his friends who lived in the city of Corinth, a church that he had planted. And there'd been a whole lot of uh, dysfunctional things happening in this church, and Paul was writing back to them to sort of try and you know, address some of the really um, uh, strange ways that this church had sort of tried to grasp hold of what it means to live out the, the gospel in their life. One of the things that had occurred in this uh, church was that there were sort of the factions. Uh, we did a series in 1 Corinthians a little while back. Uh, you might remember that if you were here, that there were the, sort of these little factions, little cliques that had occurred in this church. And that can happen everywhere. That's just because people are there. But um, in this particular case, the church in Corinth, they had got together in little groups, little factions and cliques based on which celebrity preacher they loved the most. All right, so this group over the back here, they all said, oh man, my favourite preacher is this particular guy and the others went, oh, he's alright, but man, this guy's where it's at. This is... Of course, we wouldn't do that in our world, would we? But when Paul wants to address how foolish that type of mentality is amongst Christians, he says this, and he addresses some of these celebrity preachers. He was one of them. Another guy by the name of Apollos, he was another one. Some of them said that Peter was the, the real gun. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 7 says this, I planted, this is Paul speaking, remember? I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, I wanted to reference that little passage because I think it illustrates something that Paul understood that we need to get a hold of. And it gives us, when we do grasp it, a great sense of freedom in beholding what it is that Jesus is asking us to do. Yes, there's an urgency about it, but there's also a freedom to beholding back in John chapter 4, verse 37. In this case, the saying is true, Jesus tells them. One sows, another reaps. Right? Or as Paul says, I planted, another watered. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored. And you've benefited from their labor. Here's the freedom. You can go out and you can share the good news of what God has done, the hope that we have in Christ, and the whole thing doesn't rest on your shoulders. Praise God for that. We don't have shoulders broad enough to bear that type of weight. That's one of my greatest fears over the years in evangelism. What if I get it wrong? What if I don't have all the answers? What if I can't satisfy all of their inquiries? What if I don't just have the right word at the right time? Here's the freedom. Go out, say whatever it is that God gives you the opportunity to say and trust the fact that it's God that does the work right? It's God who gives the growth. There have been other people planting in this person's life. You don't know that. 
Or maybe you're the one who plants and maybe you will never see the fruit. Maybe there will be a never be a harvesting opportunity for you in this person's life. And we walk away from it and we just think, what, a, what an absolute failure. You know, I, I shared faithfully with them. I shared my life with them. I had an opportunity over a cup of coffee to share the gospel with them and nothing. I must have done it wrong. No. You planted a seed. And maybe somebody else in two months' time or in two years' time or in 20 years' time might walk into that same coffee shop or a different coffee shop and say, hey, can I share a bit of my faith with you? And they will get this beautiful moment of reaping the harvest that you sowed into. Amen. Right? So there is an incredible freedom now in beholding what God is doing in the lives of people around you because it all doesn't depend on you. But we still have to either be the one who sows, we still have to be the one who steps in and maybe gets to reap, that's fine too. But I wanted to encourage you this morning, I think Jesus was encouraging his disciples, hey listen, there is more going in the lives of people than you are aware of. There have been conversations and situations that have gone and preceded you. You don't have to be the one to take someone from way over here to all the way over there. Maybe that'll happen. But there's great freedom in knowing. We just have to do our part, whatever our part is. And who provides the growth? Who gives the fruit? Who? Right? It's God. Not you. Not me. Not amazing, our amazing strategies that we have for evangelism in this church. It's not how good our dynamite program is or our Ignite planning. All of those things, they're great, but it doesn't all come down to that. It comes down to God. All right? So, what was our, what was our first point? There is urgency. All right? There's urgency. Not four months' time. Look, watch, take note. Those fields that you think are not ready yet, they are. Second one, there's freedom to walk out into that field. A freedom of just sort of that release of being able to say, you know what, I don't have to have it all together, I just have to do my part. And God will do the rest. That was my second one. Third one, joy. The joy of beholding. John chapter 4, reading from verse 28. This is where we pick up on the story of what happened when Jesus had finished his conversation with the woman. The disciples are walking back from town with their sandwiches. And then we've just seen this conversation that took place between Jesus and the disciples. Now, meanwhile, this is what's happening in verse 28. Then the woman left her water jar went into town and told the people, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They, the townspeople, left the town and made their way to him. Down verse 39. Now, many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. When she testified, he told me everything I ever did. And so when the Samaritans came to him, 
they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And, and he they told her things about her life. And did you see what it was that she said when she ran back to her town and her friends in that village? Come and meet a man who told me everything about what was going on in my life. That's what made the difference, right? There was a joy in her life because she met someone who cared about her. And then the townspeople, they said, we want that as well. We want that as well. We want to know this person who cares. And then they went out and they met Jesus. And eventually they said, you know what? You said that. And we, we listened, but we no longer just believe what you had to say because we've experienced it ourselves. We met someone who cared about us. That's the joy that Jesus was asking his disciples to behold. Actually dealing and actually listening and actually speaking with real people. So I want to challenge you this morning. This is a church that talks a lot about discipleship and it talks a lot about evangelism. We've had retreats as pastoral teams, haven't we, guys, where we got away and we've mapped out stuff and we've talked about this and how does this happen. I'm not dismissing that all of those things are important, but all of those things will fall far short if we just plan for, strategize, build nice flow charts, have pictures on the wall, put PowerPoints together, if we just sit here and talk about that and never actually care for people. There are people in your life, I'm not even talking about the people that walk through this door, there are plenty of those who walk through this door every week who don't know Jesus yet. We've even got great programs like Hands and Feet, where we can put food out, we can, we, we can actually spend all our time fiddling around with food and actually still fail to care for people. And we trick ourselves into thinking that we're doing good work. It is about good news for people. That's what the gospel is. It means having a conversation with someone and saying, hey boy, do I have good news for you? All right? It's sharing in their life and hearing their struggles and being able to say, how can Jesus meet you where you're at? What well are you sitting beside? What satisfaction are you looking for? And this is how Jesus meets you. So there's definitely an urgency in what Jesus had to say to his disciples. Don't miss it, guys, he said. Don't think that the, the harvest is some other time. It's now. The fields are ripe for harvest. So I say to you this morning, listen to what Jesus has to say. Open your eyes. Look at the harvest. It's ready now. It's ready now. There's urgency in this. There are eternal things at stake. So let's get on with it. Let's get about it, right? Let's be people who are ready to go into the harvest. That's the way the rest of that conversation goes, wasn't it? Jesus said, pray. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for workers. There's a harvest to be there. We just need people who are ready to step up and go out to it. So there's an urgency. Not only is there an urgency, right? I'll go to the last point. There's joy in that. There's a sense of joy in being able to say, this is not just about implementing our Raymond Terrace Community Church evangelism strategy. 
No, this is about people who need good news in their life. This is about your neighbour. This is about your schoolmate. This is about your work colleague. This is about, for those of you who love caravanning, the, the couple that you bumped into a few times and got a chance to be able to share a meal with and that said, hey, it'd be really nice to keep in contact. This is about their life and about what's going on in their world and there's an incredible joy with that. But please, I know it can be scary, but there is a great freedom, right? That was our second point, a great freedom in knowing that you don't have to be everything in this. You don't have to be able to have every answer. You don't have to be able to sort of say, it's my responsibility to make this all happen. No, it's your responsibility to just speak up and be faithful. Just trust that God is doing something in this person's life. And you're just one part of it. So speak up. Be bold. Love well. Open your eyes and behold what God is doing around you. Let's read again. John chapter 4. Verse 35. Don't you say, there are still four more months and then comes the harvest. Listen to what I'm telling you. Open your eyes and look at the fields because they are ready for the harvest. The reaper is already receiving pay and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that the sower and the reaper can rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap what you didn't labor for. Others have labored and you have benefited from their labor. Now, many Samaritans came from that town, believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, he told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with him and he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of what he said. And they told the woman, we no longer believe because of what you said, since we've heard for ourselves and we know that this really is the saviour of the world. And that's what it's about. We want people to know, just like you know, this Jesus, he's the saviour of the world. He's my saviour. So open your eyes. Behold. Lord Jesus, help us to have eyes to really see what you see in this world. Forgive us, Lord, for the many times that we've covered our own fears and our own sense of inadequacy with what's well, just not the right time. Lord, you've told us this morning it is the right time. It's right now. There's an urgency to this. I thank you, Lord, also there's a freedom in what you're calling us to do, that you are at work in people's lives. You are transforming them. You're, you're the one who changes hearts. And thank you for that sense of freedom that we can just step out and play our part. I thank you, too, for the joy there is in beholding, the, the joy of changed lives, the way that you interrupt our own patterns of life, our own selfish patterns of life, and you step in and you can change. You transform, you heal. Lord, thank you for the joy of lives that are transformed by the good news of grace that are found in Jesus alone. Lord, 
Empower us, equip us for this task, we pray. In your name and for your sake, and so that many more people might know that you are indeed the saviour of the world. Amen.